Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. You've heard AM, you've heard FM. Now, tune in to DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the longest-running show in the world about data. It's time for DM Radio. Yes, indeed, your host here, Eric Cavanaugh. And I am so excited. We've been having so much fun on the pre-show, I have to say, joking around. But it's time to get serious. We're going to talk about SaaS. That's Software as a Service. SaaS Forever, How to Manage Hybrid Cloud, sounds fascinating. And really all it means, folks, is that we have lots of different cloud providers out there now. In fact, just in the marketing space alone, we have what's called the MarTech 7000. That's 7,000 different software-as-a-service applications to automate some aspect of sales or marketing. 7,000. So there are lots of other applications too, operational systems, ERP systems, all kind of stuff out there. And most of it is going to be in the cloud. That's the new center of gravity, as we say. And we've got an all-star cast, folks. We're going to be hearing from Michelle Bates from a company called Involta. We've got Manaz Mittal from a company called Cyril, Chad Kenny, Kenny from a company called Clumio, and Ted Driggs from ExtraHop all lined up for you. But basically, we're going to talk about what this all means and how you can manage this environment, because obviously, if you've got data and processes spread across multiple clouds and, of course, your data center, that can get very complicated very quickly. So how do you deal with that? How do you handle security? How do you deal with the functionality issues? How do you deal with the data issues? All that stuff is on the table today. And I'll say that uh, it's going to be a very interesting five or so years as we migrate to cloud-first environments. I think we can thank Microsoft, frankly, for getting a lot of big businesses to focus on cloud and to realize that cloud is here to stay. It's the real deal. Salesforce, tallest building in San Francisco right now, even though it's empty. (laughs) I've heard some funny stories about that. But yeah, lots going on. Also, I'll point out uh, that I believe the rumors of the on-prem data center's demise have been greatly exaggerated. We'll touch on that a bit. And with that, let's bring in our first guest, Michelle Bates from Involta. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you folks are doing to help folks deal with hybrid cloud. Uh, Well, thanks, Eric. It's great to be here uh, along with everybody else. I appreciate the opportunity today. So Involta is uh, an organization that uh, born out of the Midwest, 
traditional uh, data center and co-location provider uh, initially, but over the course of the last few years have really answered the heat and answered the call of our customers as they've began to look at SaaS offerings and as they've began to take a look at the hybrid journey, putting things in public cloud, um, you know, putting things into our data centers and stuff across the country. And so what we really specialize is managing uh, those environments, whether or not those workloads are in our environment, whether or not they're out in the public cloud, and helping customers really put strategies together about how do they take advantage of hybrid IT. And so excited to be able to kind of talk about that, you know, with you and everyone today. And, you know, we have uh, partnerships uh, that we leverage. We're an AWS partner. We're an Azure partner. Um, So we really specialize in managing that ecosystem of the application environments for for our customers. Well, that's great. And I have to say, you just made my heart sing right there with the word you chose. You said strategy. (laughs) I have to say the one thing that I think every single company can do right now that doesn't cost a dime beyond your personnel's salary, of course, or what you pay people, is develop an information strategy and really think about that. This is the time to kind of distill what it is that you do for a living, distill your core offerings down to their core value, and then look to the cloud and then talk to someone like Michelle here from Involta to figure out what, when, where, and how to migrate to the cloud. Right, Michelle? Absolutely. Strategy is so incredibly important. And that's actually where we typically start with our customers in the journey is making sure that they have an effective uh, technology and information strategy that aligns to their business goals and what outcomes are they trying to be able to achieve, whether or not that's to grow market share, whether or not that's to um, you know be able to diversify their portfolio, expand their product offerings. So what we really look to be able to do is to take that strategy, break it down right into incremental plans uh, for progress, and then help deploy those services in the right place to be able to get the right outcomes. Um, And so for us, that's been a real market differentiator that we've been able to do, you know, with our um, with our customers and our prospective customer base um, to take a little bit different approach. So we're very business outcome focused. That's the accountant in me, Eric. So uh, Uh I, you know, I was an accountant who uh, took a turn into technology. So we're all about business outcomes because at the end of the day, it has to make really good sense in terms of, you know, growing revenue and defending margins for customers. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And the other thing I'll point out here, and you even kind of alluded to this, that you've got an Azure specialty and an AWS team and so forth. Each of these cloud environments is going to have their own set of services and functionality that they roll out according to their plans. And the key really is to have someone who monitors all of that. And frankly, that's a full-time job, right? Absolutely. And I think that's the piece that, you know, we really work to be able to help customers understand what does it take to be successful in any one of those environments. And then ultimately, we can manage that for those customers, or we can teach them how to fish as well. Because at the end of the day, we really see ourselves as a service provider that's going to partner so that we're putting the right pre- right resources to bear um, based on what they want to want to be able to actually do. And so we've seen a lot of growth in that space. And certainly as the proliferation of SaaS applications has continued. And now as we look to, you know, edge types of applications where data is moving closer and closer to the edge, how can we create an environment that removes the friction out of transporting that data to and from where it needs to go so it can be processed effectively? Um, And again, they can start to drive the insights that they're looking for based on the data that's being created. Yeah, and there's so this whole conversation around the edge is so fascinating. 
uh, from all sorts of different perspectives, including the IT provisioner or the person who decides to how to design this architecture. But the point that the Michelle is making is at the edge, and this would be at the shopping mall, for example, or on your phone somewhere, there are endpoints, if you will, of this whole connectivity reality that we live in, where you can do some analysis, where you can do some some number crunching to offer advertisements and things of that nature. And also just think about IoT, Internet of Things. I, I bet you're seeing a lot of use cases around IoT and how to leverage that analytical power at the edge. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it goes across all of our strategic verticals. So today, you know, our strategic verticals are healthcare, manufacturing, financial services, and then, you know, state, local, and, and education as well. And so we're seeing a lot of things, you know, in the, in the healthcare industry, you might see a, a wearable type of a device. Um, where a healthcare system is capturing population health information associated maybe with a homeless population. Or you might see, you know, things that are happening from an IoT perspective in manufacturing where there's sensors on particular pieces of equipment that are deployed out into the field. Some of that they want to just be able to process and give immediate results back. Some of it they want to, you know, be able to take back in-house and maybe enrich that data with other sources, um, again, so that they can start to make different types of, of product and outcome-based decisions. So we're seeing more and more uh, of that across all of our verticals today. That is very, very, very cool stuff. And it's actually a good segue to bring in um, Anav from Cyril. And of course, Cyril focuses on securing your data in the cloud. That's such a fascinating conversation for all kinds of reasons. Manav, I'll throw it over to you to kind of introduce yourself and your company. But uh, I'll throw out this concept I learned a few years ago, the so-called shared responsibility model. But we'll get into that in just one minute. But Cyril, tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing to help people in this world of hybrid cloud. Sure. So I'm the founder and CEO of Cyril, uh, which is a venture-backed company in the security space. And I and my co-founders started Cyril almost two years ago because we were firmly convinced that what we were witnessing was a once-in-a-generational shift in data engineering and processing technology. So we saw this rapidly growing ecosystem of these hybrid cloud-based services like Snowflake, MongoDB, Looker, Databricks, Kafka, etc. And companies using these services to store, process, and analyze all of their operational and business intelligence data. And the collective term we use for all these services is the data cloud. Enables organizations to embrace data democratization. It enables them to be data driven. However, it comes with this challenge of how do organizations securely manage access to all the data across all these services and keep tabs on uh, and keeping it keep keep tabs on it and keeping it safe from prime buys. And that's what Saril accepts in. Okay, good. And I see on your website, you talk about cloud native. We're actually launching a whole research project into this because I think it's a fascinating concept. And it's really, uh, it's one of the most important technological concepts to understand as we embrace the cloud, what this actually means. Could you give us, our audience, your definition of cloud native from a layman's point of view? What does that actually mean? Uh, so from our point of view, what we're seeing is the second sh uh, shift in uh, companies leveraging the cloud to manage their infrastructure and resources. The very first incarnation was companies using the cloud as a giant virtualized data center where they could basically replicate their data center in the cloud and just did not have to manage, it, manage the infrastructure uh, mm -hmm. physically. And now 
uh, what we uh, think of cloud native as basically uh, companies entering the space where they manage their infrastructure and all their uh, infrastructure like resources through scripts and text files that can be edited by humans that are or by developers as part of their application rollout and can be processed by their machines that's basically what we see as part of uh, this whole cloud native terminology yeah and of course something called kubernetes is at the foundation of a lot of that stuff um docker of course came first as i recall um but kubernetes really won the day and Kubernetes, the way I describe it, it's like an operating system for the cloud, right? It's distributed or federated compute. Can you talk about Kubernetes and how, it is, how important it is from your perspective to enable a cloud-native world? So uh, I do want to emphasize that we believe that both Docker and Kubernetes are central to this. Like Docker is really what has powered this cloud-native or infrastructure-as-code movement because it allows developers to completely decouple themselves from thinking about what type of infrastructure or what type of underlying resources where their application and resources run on. Mm -hmm. And while it unshackled the developers, it made the operations teams uh, tasks very, very difficult, right? Because what resulted in simplification for developers resulted in enormous complexity for the operations team. And that is where Kubernetes came in to those operations teams rescue. It gave them an orchestration framework in which they could use these containerized services, containerized applications to manage all of their deployments in a relatively easy and granular way. And mm -hmm. that's what we are seeing in the market. Like really Docker was the first step and Kubernetes just made it very, very simple to for teams to operate all their services and infrastructure at basically unlimited scale and achieve price for performance. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. And the other cool thing too, is that if you take a cloud native approach, the goal, the end goal from a business perspective is that I can move my functionality from one place to another. So we talk a lot about vendor lock-in, right? And that just means I purchased an Oracle database and then I've got lock-in. They've locked me in because I, all my really important data is sitting in there. So vendor lock-in has been a concern for many, many years. And what I see with this cloud native movement, at least theoretically, is that you're going to give yourself options down the road. So if you've embraced the cloud native ar architecture, you should be able to pull out of Amazon and go into Google or pull out of Google, go into Microsoft or whatever. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, so we, <laughs> you know, so there's two parts to this, right? There's a vendor agnostic and a vendor independent, be vendor independent, avoid vendor lock-in came to this uh, whole trend. What we actually see is it's the other end of the spectrum, if you will, where companies care less about vendor lock-in. They just care about vendor, vendor footprint maximization, for lack mm. of a better term. Mm. Literally, you have now very large organizations where as opposed to the CIO or the CTO, your individual development teams make decisions about what the application architecture should look like, what type of resources you should be used, what type of tools they should use for collaboration. And what this enables is them to pick the right tools, the right services, the right platforms of their choice, and just run as fast as they can. And it allows these large organizations that normally would take many, many months of strategy and planning and resource allocation before they did anything to be really agile, very nimble, and very quickly experiment with new types of products, new types of services, and just new types of internal capabilities. Yeah, and that's, that's a really good point you just made right there. And I think there's going to be a big mindset shift over the next couple of years as 
organizations figured that out, right? Because before, when you had to build out your data center, there were so many contingencies, if you will, to get to where you could do something interesting. And now we've abstracted a lot of that complexity away from the business to the point where you could just start focusing on the business functionality that you want in this particular domain. Is that about right? That's exactly right. It's, you know, it's fascinating for me. So this is the second company that I started. In my previous company, when we were selling into larger enterprises, what we would see is these very, very long planning, rollout, and deployment cycles, right? Mm -hmm. You would go talk to your buyer and you would say, hey, you know, are you ready for this project? They would tell you, look, all these things are running late downstream and we still haven't made the progress and we're still busy (laughs) wrapping up projects from the previous cycle. And now it's not like projects don't run late, but it's the speed at which things are happening, even inside large organizations, it's really mind-blowing. Within the same POC cycle, like literally within a one-long POC cycle, when we start a conversation with a company, they'll be using cloud formation to run their applications in AWS. And then a month later, the whole team would have switched to using Terraform instead to be running their services inside GCP, right? And there would be a little bit of cloud formation in AWS left a little that you still have to tackle. And all of a sudden, a new frontier has been opened. And companies, as we spend more time with them, the more time they just live and breathe and exist in the cloud, the more they realize that look, uh, the heterogeneity and diversity of services is increasing. Their data is sprawling across all these different services and they need to think about security. Yeah. Well, security is always the first and last thing to think about, right? But it is an ongoing challenge to me. And I guess we've got about a minute and a half before the first break here. What's the biggest challenge that you see for security in this new hybrid cloud environment? See, uh, the biggest challenge in security is how do you enable security teams to stay in lockstep with the development teams? Mm. And that has always been a challenge, right? But when you were in the more classic legacy waterfall model, everybody had time to plan around it. Your security Mm. team could see applications and infrastructure rolling their way six months a year in advance, right? And now companies release new applications and services multiple times a day. And that is the challenge. How do we give the security development and operations team the right tools so that they can all collaborate and make sure they're working together to keep their security posture consistent and relevant and up to date? Yeah, that's that's such a good point. I mean, that the rate of change has been increasing really in, in remarkable ways. And that creates moving targets and the moving target scenario creates new ways that bad actors can get in, or even that bad things can happen, even if there are accidents, for example, that's technically part of security too. So to your point, you really have to change your focus and change the way you organize your teams and the way they interact with other teams. I mean, there's a big human side to all those folks. Well, don't touch that down. We'll be right back. Two more guests on the show today, all about hybrid cloud and staying alive in business. We'll be right back. You're listening to DM Radio. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back once again, learning all about the cloud. We're going up into the cloud, as a matter of fact. Those who wonder, what is that song? It's called Real 10. It's by The Plugs. It's P-L-U-G-Z. Look them up. Soundtrack of Repo Man. It's the enlightenment part of the show. And it goes up into the clouds and learns everything. 
And with that segue, let's bring in Chad Kenny from a company called Clumio. Chad, tell us a bit about yourself and what you folks are doing to uh, protect the cloud. Awesome. So thanks so much for uh, having me here and uh, excited to, to talk with the whole crew uh, that's, that's on the panel here. So Clumio is an enterprise backup as a service offering built natively in the public cloud. It really was hyper-focused on just getting rid of the complexity that is data protection. I mean, it overall has been a pretty painstaking solution for most customers to deal with. And so the first step was, let's just get rid of the, the complexity and provide it as a service, remove the on-prem infrastructure component of it, uh, and really just be able to drive a completely different customer experience. And we've been fortunate to really lead this market. Uh, we launched the first uh, industry's first platform to protect on-prem, uh, you know, public cloud, private cloud, and SaaS-based solutions all in one service, uh, which was a huge win for many customers who are kind of proliferating data all over these various different clouds to find a really consistent way to protect it. But uh, we're not stopping there. You know, the value of the public cloud is you get a whole bunch of new innovations and the like. And we built this thing we call a time series data lake that takes out um, the, the customer's data, kind of decouples it from the infrastructure, allows you to be able to query it directly. We did this uh, first with RDS. Uh, and in AWS, and it allows customers to really gain value from the data sets well beyond data protection as a whole. Uh, and so we've been having a blast with it. Um, but uh, I'm the chief technologist over here. I've had a whole bunch of gigs in product-centric uh, roles. Um, and uh, I just literally love taking a highly complex solution in big markets and, and simplify it so that customers can get value and focus back on the, their mission at hand. Yeah, and that's really a, um, a hallmark, I think, of the cloud in general and of the direction that we're going. We kind of talked about this in the last segment a bit, but abstracting away the complexity. It's like a good buddy of mine, Dave Wells, once used a term that I just love, and I'm going to use it forever. He said there are some things that should be under the hood technology. And his point was that you don't have to be a car mechanic to know that your car is working or to know that it's not working well, for example. You don't have to know what's wrong to know that something is wrong, for example. And you shouldn't have to know how the pistons operate inside your vehicle. You can if you want to. That's an interesting space to to explore. But for functionality purposes, you don't need to know. I mean, you may want to know from an auditing perspective, for example, but the average business user shouldn't get lost in a haze of technical terms. They just want to get stuff done, right, Chad? Yeah, it's funny too, because if you look at the evolution of this, it's it's a nightmare. It started off kind of with like build your own. And so you get a bunch of software, you got to buy a bunch of hardware and then try to integrate the whole thing yourself. Then there's been a bit of an evolution of like consolidation. I think of it as HCI for backup. And then there's this wasteland of people trying to somehow move that solution into the public cloud. Um, and it's and it's an almost comical solu- uh, environment because the, the customers are knowing what they have on-prem, moving to the cloud, and not really having a great solution once they get there. And so our key focus has been to take the complexity out altogether and consolidate much of which they had before into that service. So you've got kind of the hardware appliance that did dedupe and compression and the like. You've got the software, which orchestrated the backup. And you've got, you know, this tenancy that's built into the cloud to allow each user to have their own environment. Um, and we provide this as a service to customers, which just takes all of that off their plate. Again, they don't need their knobs whatsoever. Uh, and so uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to see the value that customers uh, get. And, and an example of this is ransomware uh, as, uh, is a big topic these days. The CISA came out with uh, an announcement that healthcare and public sectors uh, should be warned that they need to create an environment that protects themselves. 
And they mentioned an air gap solution as an example. Just think about the amount of stuff you have to get. You have to buy a second solution. You have to figure out how you're going to air gap your network. Maybe it's not even in your environment. So you got to get a colo wow. too. And, uh, we get customers up and running in 15 minutes. And uh, it's great to see in their face that they're protected and um, not having to deal with all the underhood items. Yeah. And you know what else is interesting here too? That's a great example you just gave. And it's a reminder that there is so much innovation occurring out in the cloud these days. Frankly, it's mind-blowing. I mean, I I try to focus on this stuff, and I'm an IT analyst, and I have a hard time keeping up with what's going on. Like, you got a whole conference cube flow. They called it for Kubernetes, where if you want your mind blown, just go talk to some of those folks for a while. But the point is that a lot of these problems are getting solved. And so it's really the end users have to change their mindset and kind of open up their minds to accept the fact that probably someone has already solved this problem. Right, Chad? Yeah, and, and you bring up the innovation in the cloud. I think that that is, uh, that is an interesting one because the cloud gives you a lot of parts and pieces of it, um, but not always like a broad solution to do it. And so in data protection, we've really solved that, that unique solution for them in the public cloud as well as outside of it. But the better part is when you get into this decoupling of data sets from the infrastructure, you now can actually leverage the, the innovations built into the cloud as well as all those services that are already built in the cloud as a whole. Uh, And I think that that's where customers are going to get value, where you can consolidate your data sets, you can apply the innovation that's being built in these other solutions, uh, and be able to drive a whole bunch of new ways of looking at the world, especially around your data, than what we've seen in the past, where everything was very siloed in nature to specific use cases. Wow. That's that's just so cool. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with reInvent as they reInvent, reInvent, (laughs) and Amazon's big... uh, big event, which I have not been to, and I really, I wanted to go, and hopefully it'll get back to where it was, but they would just take over the strip in Las Vegas, and it's like, one of the cool things I heard about uh, Amazon, if you go in there and you kind of look at all the services they provide, this is as of a year or so ago, it's like, it's almost like a, a library of functionality, and it could be a bit bewildering, but one of the analysts I know said that the reason it's that way is because Amazon works very closely with their customers to, as uh, we heard just a moment ago from Michelle, get these outcomes. There are very specific outcomes that you want. And if you have this environment of services, or even as we talk about microservices, smart people can cobble them together in very clever and efficient ways and thus solve problems for fairly small dollar amounts. Right, Chad? Yeah, so one of the, the fun things just on backend uh, advantages we get with AWS, as an example, is, you know, we built this, this platform from the cloud up kind of for the cloud, which is a very different methodology than kind of taking an on-prem appliance and moving it to the cloud. And so we uh, have broken the application into functional levels and into workflows, which allow us to not only bring innovation really, really fast and leverage those kind of key capabilities that drive outcomes for us and in, her, in turn our customers, Um, But our support experience is ridiculous because now we can see every functional level of the the processes that we do and provide a very proactive integrated experience for the customers where they have a hands-off approach completely. And with that new innovation, it comes so fast that, you know, it's just literally a browser refresh away. They don't have to do anything associated to it. That, that's so cool. I mean, this is just fascinating stuff. And I want to get a deeper dive on your technology at some point, too. And let's bring in uh, our final guest waiting very patiently in the wings there, Ted Driggs from Extra Hop. Also, very, very cool company. I've been tracking these guys for, I guess, about six or seven years now. 
And uh, I remember the first thing that blew my mind about ExtraHop is, is the way it operates. They will create, they'll take your network traffic, siphon off a copy of it, and then use that copy to create a visual landscape that shows you all the applications and where information is flowing here, there, all over the place. Fantastic for troubleshooting. And I guess your clients themselves came to you and said, hey, you should focus more on security because you're getting all this good information. Ted, tell us a bit about yourself and what you folks are doing over at ExtraHop these days. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. So my name is Ted Driggs. I'm the head of product here at ExtraHop. And as you said, our we started out as an operations-focused solution where we were providing this real-time visibility that teams could use to troubleshoot applications, improve performance, and really declare war on the yellow lights on their dashboards. Right. So on the upside, when something is hard down, it tends to get fixed. But the and you get these accumulations of things aren't really broken or they're not reliably broken. And XDROP was a great product for people to go in and fix those. But then we got an increasing number of customers who came and told us like, hey, with ransomware, I'm really nervous about this. What can you provide? And ransomware has an essential operation when it encrypts network shares that was very easy for us to spot using our full understanding of that traffic and behavioral baselines of how the network normally functions. So we were able to spot even as yet unknown ransomware strains immediately, uh, just because there's this essential piece of how they operate that they can't change. What we've done more recently is we've launched Xtrapper VLX360, which is a cloud-delivered NDR network detection and response solution that includes all of those troubleshooting and operations-focused tools with the security ML and visibility add-ons that we've, or not add-ons, things we put in the last year or two. We've also pushed the edge of what XDROP can see out to beyond the data center to retail locations, branch offices. And what we found there is those are some of the remaining pockets of the wild west when it comes to corporations, right? These things that are both inside and outside the perimeter at once and so now we have continuous visibility through one tool for ops teams and security teams in the cloud, in the data center, in the campus, and at the edge. I mean, that really helps with mean time to resolution and detection. Yeah, which is so important, right? I mean, you don't realize how deadly that stuff can be until it takes over your network, until it takes over your data, and then you're in big, big trouble. Um, I Personally, I've lived my life to where I try to make it such that uh, I could lose everything and still keep going. That's how we set up the uh, the infrastructure. But we're a very small company. We're not a hospital, for example. We're not a bank. And if you start to – or government. I've heard lots of stories of governments, municipalities getting hacked. And, wow, then you're in some real big trouble. But the cool thing that you just hinted at uh, is, Ted, that uh, – there are lots of different behavioral patterns, which when identified can be understood as the norm, as the baseline. And when something starts flaring up here and there, that's something to look at. And now with the power of machine learning running in the background, and of course you have to write software and you have to apply it correctly, but you can learn all kinds of interesting things. And as you suggest, you can spot ransomware when that little seed has been planted and it's getting ready to go so you can stop it before the damage takes place, right? Exactly. The I heard a great anecdote once about if you're a henchman in an evil villain's lair, you, you let the hero walk right in and take whatever it was that they were after because you don't know whether or not they're supposed to be there, right? But it turns out that when you look at an entire enterprise's network, 
unlike that henchman who's kind of trying to figure out is this legitimate or not, it's very easy to, to make an informed decision about the legitimacy of certain behaviors. And XTROP has a, a threat research team that works with our data scientists to make sure that when we detect something, it's not just here's an alert of a mathematical model that's changed, but it includes all of that enrichment and context about why does why would an attacker do this? What is the risk to your business? So it, it provides even tier one analysts with everything they need in one convenient package. Well, and that's, so that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. I remember you talking about this. So the idea here, folks, is that you can see patterns in the network behavior that might look strange, but what you really want is someone who has done the research to explain to you why it's strange and what it could be doing. I mean, these kinds of jobs are incredibly complex in terms of the information you have to absorb. And so to have this research department actually write out in prose what's happening and explain to the customer why that's a big deal, that's a really big part of the success, it seems to me, right? Correct. The the other big piece that I want to come back to that I've mentioned earlier is how do you enable security teams to keep up with development, right? Your business cannot afford to put brakes on development or delivery of customer value for security. But if security falls behind development, then breaches will ensue and breaches are extremely damaging to and disruptive to your business. So what XROP has found is that the, the network provides enough rich data for both sides to get what they need. And that having co- common tools that the two sides share enables much easier handoffs between different app owners or different ops teams and the security team as issues are discovered and triaged to see whether or not they're actually security impacting. Wow. This is so interesting, too. And you're right. Very quickly, we got another break coming up here. But the, the, the research and the explanation part, and I think you just hit another nail on the head, which is that you need whole teams to focus on this stuff and just to track what's happening. When a release comes out from Amazon or Microsoft or Google, they're constantly updating things. And it's good to have a partner who does that because most companies can't afford to pay someone to do just that. Right, Ted? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, this, Sorry. Yeah, I, this is a really good, I couldn't see that on the radio. Yeah, no, this is, it's such a good point because again, guys, I promise you, even WordPress, which, you know, I, I begrudgingly use WordPress. I'm not a big WordPress fan. I understand the value to it, but it's very complicated and you have to stay up on the plugins and stay up on all the, the updates and so on and so forth. And if you don't, if you miss one patch, for example, you can get in a lot of trouble. But again, there's this legacy environment out there, folks, lots of old computers, lots of old browsers, I remember my uncle once was like, I can't get this to work. And I looked, he said, he was on Netscape 1.0. I'm like, okay, uncle, you're on Netscape 1.0 still. Like this is, uh, the world has moved on. (laughs) You need to get a newer browser, buddy. That was a few years ago. But we'll pick this up after the break, folks. Don't touch that dial. You are listening to the longest running show in the world about data. It's called DM Radio. What are you doing to keep your nose clean? After all, the nose is your body's air filter, the first line of defense against airborne diseases. I'm Martin Hoke, and I invented Navage, the powered suction nose cleaner. Navage cleans your nose by flushing out allergens, mucus, dust, and germs, including dangerous, infectious germs. So with all the horrible stuff in the air, now's the perfect time to join more than a million Americans who use Navage. It has over 30,000 online reviews, averaging 4.7 stars. Why? 
Because Navage is easy to use. It's inexpensive, all-natural, drug-free and safe, and most important, it works. Think about it. You wash your hands every day. Maybe it's time to clean your nose, too. Breathe better, sleep deeper, feel, and be healthier. Online at Navage.com and at Target, CVS, Walgreens, Bed Bath, and Rite Aid. Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean nose, healthy life. Are you looking to promote healthy lung function? Quantum Nutrition Labs has exciting news. Our lung support is back, and it's better than ever. This comprehensive botanical formula featuring bromelain, N-acetyl-L-cysteine, and organic cranberry is designed for optimal lung support. For a limited time, buy two bottles and get the third one free. Call 1-800-370-3447 or visit us online at qnlabs.com. That's 1-800-370-3447 or visit qnlabs.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob Marshall, Ph.D., host of Healthline. Tune in to get your questions answered and hear the latest breakthrough information for you and your family. Our product line, Quantum Nutrition Labs, delivers what others only promise, nutrition that really works. Here's today's top automotive tech story. I'm Nick Miles. Hyundai Motor Company and Kia Motors Corporation have revealed new details of their innovative heat pump system deployed in Hyundai's and Kia's global electric vehicle lineup to maximize their all-electric driving range in low temperatures. It is a heat management innovation that maximizes the distance that Hyundai and Kia EVs travel on single charges, using waste heat to warm the cabin without significantly impacting electric driving range. For more automotive news, go to testmiles.com. The all-new Highlander comes equipped with five USB ports, perfect for fully charging everyone's smartphone. No phone is dying on your watch. That's how you go Highlander. Toyota, let's go places. May not be compatible with all mobile phones, MP3, WMA players, and like models. You're listening to Global American Broadcasting, the Gab Radio Network. For more info on our programs and services, including technical operations... Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, welcome back once again. Talking DM Radio today, all things SaaS, software as a service. We're talking about hybrid cloud, and basically that just refers to the fact that there are lots of different operating environments out there. You've got Microsoft Azure, you've got Google Cloud Platform, which is really coming on strong these days. Amazon Web Service got a 10-year head start on the industry, how they did that. Only the good Lord knows hats off to them, but they dominated the market. And now Microsoft is kind of clawing back some space. And like I say, Google and others, there are others out there as well. But the one big question is, how do you enable your organization to take advantage of all this stuff? It gets back to strategy. I'd like to bring Michelle back in, Michelle Bates from Involta. What do you suggest to your clients as they get excited about the cloud, where they can go, what they can do? What step do they have to take first? Yeah, I think, you know, following a strategy, one of the things that we really talk about is you have to have a really strong governance model and actually put governance in place. 
so that one, you can avoid the pitfalls of overspending and not realizing, you know, what you what you might have, uh, you know, been incurring from a cost perspective, but also that it's a different operating model because now you're bringing automation into those deployments. So how do you handle the creation of a cloud operations model? How are you going to handle patching? How are you going to handle monitoring? You know, as you know, other folks have really talked about, how are you going to begin to embed security in the design of what you actually do? So taking the time to actually set up that framework on the upfront can really avoid a lot of risk on the backside, right? And so it's all about being able to enable speed to innovation and mitigate risk of deployment and management of those environments. And if you take just a little bit of go slow so you can go fast by putting Mm -hmm. that operating model and governance and stuff into place, it can make a real difference in the success of, of your cloud and SaaS strategy. Yeah, that's it. it gets back to one of my favorite cliches, well begun is half done, which basically means if you get off on the right foot, you're going to be a lot further down the road. It's like, like I've done a lot of driving in my life, and I can tell you, if you're driving cross country and you're on the interstate, if you just mix up and start going the wrong direction, it's so depressing because you know you're losing time, you're going to have to gain back all that time, and you can't even turn off yet. <laughs> like So it, it pays to really think through what you're going to do and have the new set of safeguards and really transparency in place, right, Michelle? Absolutely. And we talk a lot with customers about the idea of the cost of the re, right? So rework, Mm -hmm. re-engineering, having to kind of retool if you're not really kind of taking a mindful approach and just jumping in. And I think one of the really great things about agile and, you know, iterative approaches is it enables speed, but it should always come with a guardrail and a framework associated with it. So at least, you know, you're headed in the right direction. Um, Once in a while, you might have to make a U-turn, but what you really hope is that you have have to completely take a detour uh, that ends up taking a whole lot more time and a whole lot more money. Yeah, that's right. And I'll bring Manav um, back in from Cyril. You know, I was talking to Jonathan Tudor on Monday, as a matter of fact, as part of our strategic yeah. CDO series, and uh, he's over at GE Aviation. And he kind of hinted at something, and I asked him about it, and he clarified that I was correct in my assumption that they work on two week drills basically two weeks every two weeks they kind of reassess what they're doing where they're going what's happening and they they redesign and, and take adjustments accordingly i think it's a fascinating and excellent time period to work with two weeks because these days you can get a lot done in two weeks and if you mm-hmm. wait a month maybe you're going to have to do what michelle just cautioned against and make a u-turn turn things around what do you think about that time frame of, of two week blocks of time to move your business forward so uh, this all comes down to the modern infrastructure capabilities and the tools and assets and resources modern teams have at their disposal, right? So earlier, if you wanted to build a service, you had to provision hardware, pro- build applications, craft services, think about engaging with other teams. And today in the cloud, all those services are provided to you at your fingertips. Earlier, uh, Eric, you were talking about this, how AWS provides this library of different functions and services, you know, all these infrastructure resources are completely abstracted out. And so it makes it very simple for you to uh, very quickly and rapidly iterate on your ideas. And at Cyril, we certainly believe that if there's something that you can't accomplish in two weeks, it's very likely you will not be able to do it at all. And the same applies to for companies of pretty much any shape or size we think. That's a really, that's a good way to look at it too, right? Because these days, if you can't do it in two weeks, you probably can't do it. And so you shouldn't that's be wasting right. your time on it, right? That's right. <laughs> that's really funny. And uh, Chad uh, Kenny from Clumio, I'll bring you back in. 
you guys are in this really interesting space, and I've now seen, I think, three or four companies that are doing something similar to this, but it's a very clever way of getting more value out of a necessary process, which is backup, necessary for all kinds of different reasons, disaster recovery, continuity, whatever the case may be, COVID, hello, COVID changed the world. Um, but all being very clever about different ways to use that information, right? So you talked about decoupling the data from the application. Well, now you can analyze that data in new interesting ways, and you can come up with new ways to architect your business, and that is digital transformation, right? So we're at this really fun, exciting time where there are lots of ways to get things done, but it seems to me that what you folks are doing uh, at Clumio is opening up another window to look at the data and to look at the processes and then to kind of reinvent what you're doing as a business, right, Chad? Yeah, a great a great example of this is <clears throat> where you know if you look at backup, it's a it's a, a necessary thing for people to consistently protect their data, and that is one thing that kind of hits the application that pulls data out of it. Then you've got other processes, like I'll give you an example: um, a production database. You've got to export data and do an ETL process into a data warehouse. That same guy is getting hit twice now for fundamentally similar functions. Hmm. The downside to it is, is that there are different types of applications or use cases that are actually doing it. And so part of SaaS, and I think the cloud and the consolidation of data, is really about trying to be much more operationally efficient in the way that you access those data sets. And so if you look at the way that we're embracing this, if we can protect the data and give you the abilities to restore it, that's awesome. But if you can also integrate this, let's say, with other processes that are taking the same data that you're doing other processes with uh, and, and allow that to be the one that gets hit versus production, you save your production environment from all of the impact of these additional services. Right. That's right. And, well, killing two birds with each stone or killing five birds with each stone and, and not reinventing wheels. And also, by the way, facilitating collaboration across the organization. Right, Chad? Yeah, I, I, you know what I what I love about this whole thing is we're consolidating multiple different use cases into one, and really being able to drive a lot more value out of it. And at the same time, we you know we've been hitting on ransomware quite a bit, protecting data from things that are like you know top of mind for many executives today to make sure that they're protected with an air gap solution, you know, in the cloud. And you know we've seen many customers be very very hyper focused on this, and that's just one and another use case that you know goes on top of the many that we're able to provide here at Columbia. Well, that's great stuff. And uh, Ted Driggs from ExtraHop, we were talking in the break about something called Ripple 20 as a great example of uh, something that's just been lurking out there for a long time. Tell us what that is and why companies should be concerned about it and what they can do about it. So Ripple 20 is a set of vulnerabilities that were found in the Trek DHCP stack. And you may not have heard of that because it's embedded frequently in enterprise IoT devices. So how does that relate to the cloud and what can companies do about it? Well, number one, if you get into an environment and can establish persistence in that environment through IoT devices, you're very well positioned to attack back into the cloud, right? If you've got a credential that's valid into the production environment in AWS and you enter via the same network as the head office, that may not trip any alarms or raise any red flags in most security scenarios, but that's definitely not what you as an organization want to have happen. As far as what companies can do about it, unfortunately, if the vendor that made that IoT device is not patching that device or is no longer even a business, 
then all that can be done is either explore replacement options for that device or more practically, make sure that it is not behaving abnormally, make sure that it is properly network segmented and really just sort of be mindful of the exposure risk that this thing poses, but you can't throw out all your printers the second a new vulnerability gets discovered that's not financially sensible. Yeah, it's uh, throwing the baby out of the bathwater, right? You don't want to do that. But nonetheless, you have to be aware of these things, right? And that's that's what I always loved about ExtraHop is, is the way it gives you visibility into this very broad and very uh, topologically challenging environment, right? Yeah, and it's funny because in the public cloud space, so AWS released traffic mirroring, which is native. It, it provides a native way for us to get traffic for analysis. And with our Reveal X360 offering, you can be up and running, seeing your own traffic analyzed in 15 minutes or less. When we did that to our environment, our environments are very locked down. We still found that there were certain connections inside that environment that our own network diagrams did not say we had a need for. So there's this idea that because the cloud provides so many controls, it's more secure. But the shared responsibility model says that those controls are guaranteed secure, but using them to secure your business is your problem. And there are so many different knobs and dials for teams to use that figuring out what settings are appropriate is very challenging. And in some cases, you need to see the system in healthy operation before you can figure out what the correct settings for those dials actually are. Wow. What a good point. In other words, if the doctor examines you after you already got this virus and he doesn't know what you'd look like before you got the virus, he can't tell the difference between the two. And I'm glad you threw out that shared responsibility model. We talked about how we were going to go into that. And basically what I learned by shared responsibility, when the cloud vendor says that, it means it's your responsibility. (laughs) They're not going to really share any of it. It's kind of like kids, they want to share something. They want to take something. (laughs) I will take that from you. That's how we share. But folks, we've been talking all about these great, topics and software as a service and hybrid cloud on today's show send me an email if you want to be on the show info at dmready.biz we'll talk to you next week folks bye-bye if your business depends on web and mobile applications to connect with customers and drive transactions then your success or failure as a company hinges on your ability to continuously deliver a flawless digital experience It's no surprise then that testing is fast becoming the foundation of the agile development process and nobody does testing better than Sauce Labs. Sauce Labs ensures the world's leading apps and websites work flawlessly on every browser, OS, and device. Its award-winning continuous testing cloud provides development and quality teams with instant access to the test coverage, scalability, and analytics they need to rapidly deliver a flawless digital experience. To learn more about Sauce Labs and the power of continuous testing, visit www.saucelabs.com. Want to be a guest on Inside Analysis? Send us an email to info at insightanalysis.com. Inside Analysis is the only radio show focused on the information economy. This is GAB1. GAB Radio. Welcome back to Inside Analysis. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, time for the podcast bonus segment here on the Strategic CDO, talking to Jonathan Tudor, CDO over at GE Aviation. And, you know, automation is one of these ties that bind. Jonathan, uh, you want to automate as much as possible, but obviously I always 
lobby for the manual override just in case something goes wrong. But automation, really, that's what all software does, right? It automates something. And now we have automation of automation. All kinds of amazing things are happening. And the more, I guess, structured or predictable the data is, the more you can automate things. Like we even talk about self-driving data management. Is that something that you think is possible these days? Like, can we have automation at a level that data management could be somewhat self-driving, like cars drive themselves? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think you absolutely can. And um, you know, folks who know me personally know I always try to drive automation first mentality in many aspects. But yeah, absolutely, I think with data, um, you can drive automation and say, hey, you know, how do you maybe fit an MDM model? How do you ensure that, hey, these particular titles are lining up? But you can also take it to the extent of you know, machine learning. You know, it's very common these days, and we have this in our business, where you can just take, okay, I want this output, here's my input, run hundreds of models and tell me, hey, what's the what's the right one to choose, right? That's form automation. You can have models that learn over time. So I think you really can. Um, and I'm a big fan of doing that, even if it's just process intensive. You know, one of our major focus areas around with self-service was the automation of going to production. You know, how do you actually automate that? But so when a user clicks it, it goes in 30 seconds. But more importantly, how do you put the right checks in place to ensure, hey, you've got the right Python code, you're not going to damage the data lake environment, you've met all these different restrictions. That's actually allowed us to build, again, that free form of governance where they control their own destiny if they're meeting those. There's no manual checks. It just goes straight there. But otherwise, they get informed about what actions you need to take. I think you can use automation to drive many aspects of that ecosystem. Yeah, testing, right? Testing is so important. If you look at the really big guys, the Facebooks and the Googles, they're doing all of this real-time A-B testing on systems are rolling it out to 1% mm -hmm. of the users, seeing what that happens. Is that, uh, to me, that's the future, but you gotta be pretty big and pretty robust to take that kind of approach. Is that something that you guys are looking to, to get to, or are you already doing some mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff? Just rolling out in small little slivers of your user community. Sure, so we will sometimes try something new with a portion of our community. We mentioned the ambassadors earlier, that's a great choice. We also have folks in our data science community who would be part of that. So when we try new things, we will do that with certain folks. And even if we build new functionality, like what I mentioned earlier with automating production deployments, that may be something we test with the user base before we take it forward. So we're definitely doing that, not the size and style that a Facebook would, right? But you can do that when you have an active community and you can also test things out and use that design thinking approach to see if it even works for them. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned this active community, right? And you, you pay a lot of attention to the ambassadors, and in empowering them to go educate people, to listen. It's really, it's a push and pull all the time, right? You're never just telling people what to do. You're always listening and then telling and then listening and then telling. And that's a, a common pattern of success in the organization, right, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard this before on uh, you know, similar you know, shows or podcasts and that people ask, what's the biggest challenge? Is it technology, is it process or people? I would say the biggest challenge in any implementation like this for most anything in IT really is people, right? Mm -hmm. You can always have the newest technology, but the people is what matters most. So from my perspective, the closeness with the customer, the end user, the partnership with the business, whether that's end users or even other CIOs within our business is the most key part of that. Because if you don't have that alignment, that communication, that partnership, you really can't get anywhere. But if you get people to get on board and always driving the same direction, you can do amazing things. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And, and the last one I'll throw over to you is... Uh, this whole concept, this whole reality of Kubernetes, which they're calling, I call it the operating system for the cloud. And it really is a foundational technology for becoming cloud native. How, how big a deal do you think Kubernetes is and or will be? Sure, I'm a huge fan of uh, Kubernetes. In fact, we just took our whole analytic convention, you know, 
space and tool set and actually enabled on Kubernetes this year. So on the analytic convention that happens at our business, folks build Python models, R, Spark, whatever it is, it takes it from a uh, file system layer, spins it up within a Kubernetes container based on the size of need, runs the analytic process, spins it back down. So our data science models are fully running on Kubernetes now for ephemeral compute. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, I love the idea of ephemeral compute and really making that available. I think Kubernetes is a great way to do it. So big fan, that's something we're driving in our organization. That's cool. And yeah, I was just on the phone this morning with uh, one of my favorite peeps in the business. He's uh, just a, he's a full stack developer, business guy. He actually normalized the Pentagon's financial audit data. Like that's how detail oriented this guy is. And he was telling me he just, he built a really cool technology and he just rebuilt it on the new.net because he said in, in Java, the garbage collection has been such a nightmare, which I thought was fascinating because of course Java drove <laughs> that whole Hadoop open source movement, right? That a lot of that stuff was Java, but he says .NET has really come a long way and that Satya Nadella has driven tremendous change in that organization. Do you have any thoughts on that, on, on Microsoft and Azure and kind of where they're going versus some of the other companies out there? Sure, sure. I mean, I think for me, depending on your particular use case or need across the big three, right? You got you know, Google, Cloud Platform, or GCP, you got AWS, and you got Azure. I think they all three are driving interesting paths. I think all roughly trying to go to the same space. I don't know if I could comment on which one I think is better overall. I know as a business, we tend to have both um, AWS and Azure within our business, primarily AWS, um, not too much Google, but ultimately, I think they're all going in interesting directions. The more they think it's kind of cool to see all those services being built. And I think a lot of them will go towards the ephemeral compute structures. I think they'll need to. Yeah, cloud native. And I like the concept of ephemeral. Very cool about this stuff is that it got spin up, does its thing, and it just, right? So there's a lot of, uh, it, it takes away a lot of the tax, if you will, on your network, on your whole system. Is that is that about right? Yeah. I mean, if you were to ask me the Achilles heel of data lake technology, I would tell you it's concurrency. I would tell you it's concurrency over resources, table locks, all those different things, right? And that's what happens with a shared large ecosystem with thousands of people on it. And I really think that through something like a Kubernetes or something that's a real compute, you remove that dependency. It's still a shared you know, plane of data, if you will. But you're now running everything independently. You're not obstructing others. If you run seven million lines through some Python code, you're not going to crash the data lake, which did happen early on in our processes. So from my perspective, I think ephemeral computing is awesome. And it's something that I personally want to do for a few years. I'm actually very proud of our teams for getting that done this year. Yeah, this is just wonderful stuff. Thanks so much for your time today, Jonathan. We've been talking to Jonathan Tudor, CDO over at GE Aviation. Obviously, those folks have to take everything very seriously. You don't want to crash the data lake, and you definitely don't want to crash a plane. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time today, folks. Uh, hey, if you want to be on the show, or if you know someone who's a good guest, send me an email, info at insideanalysis.com or info at dmradio.biz. Both come right to me. We'll talk to you next week, folks. It's been a fun time here on on the strategic CDO. Take care. Bye -bye.